Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. If I don't know you, my name is Josh Barnett. I'm the youth pastor here on staff. I'm excited about sharing the word with you. Our lead pastor, Pastor Tim, is actually in our sister church uh, in Missouri this morning and uh, sharing about the theme with them. But I'm, I'm really pumped about the word that God has put on my heart for you. If you got your Bibles or your cellular devices, uh, go to 2 Kings chapter 3. 2 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to start reading in verse 9, but before we get there, I'm just going to kind of give you context of what is going on uh, before we get to verse 9. Um, most people have heard of King Ahab and Jezebel. They were like the most evil king and queen uh, to ever rule Israel. Well, Ahab has died. Uh, his son, King Jehoram, has now took over. And he is not as evil as Ahab, but he's not a great guy. Uh, he does tear down the altars of Baals, but he's still, uh, he's still pretty, he pretty evil king, still does some bad things. Um, and so he's taken over. So the king of Moab is like, he used to give 100,000 sheep to um, king Ahab every single year. And he stops doing that because the sons took over. So he's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. Well, then, so King Jehoram is like, well... We're, you're not going to stop doing that, so I'm going to come to war against you if you, keep, if you stop that. So he goes to the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, who is actually a great godly man. He goes to him and says, hey, I'm going to go to war against these guys. Will you join me? And Jehoshaphat's like, yeah, absolutely. We're one nation. My, my horses are your horses. My men are your men. Let's go do it. And on the way, they, they also take the king of Edom and his soldiers. And so you've got three kings, three armies that are headed towards Moab to take on this king is what's going on. They're going through, they're going south around the Dead Sea uh, to the land of Moab to do this. And we're going to pick up and see what happens along the way as they're headed there. Look in verse nine. I'm reading this from the New King James Version because I like the way that it words some things here. It says, so the king of Israel went to the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. And there was no water for the army, nor for the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. But Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here who poured water on the hands of Elijah. So Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elijah said to the king of Elisha, said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, but now bring me a musician." Then it happened when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him and he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind nor shall you see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also, you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. Awesome. Let's break this down. In... <laughs> And if you're, if you're taking notes, if you want to put a title to this, the title of my message today is Digging Ditches. 
digging ditches, and we'll see why. So they get together, they're going to Moab, they, they, and they, they go out into this desert, they're going around the, they're going around the Dead Sea, and uh, they don't have any water. And they're about to dehydrate and they're about to die. You got three armies, they're about to perish. They can't continue on. They can't go back without massive loss and massive devastation. And King Joram of Israel goes, uh, the Lord brought us out here to die. That's his first response is God brought me out of here to die. And my first question to you this morning is when trouble strikes, where do you turn? When trouble strikes, who do you ask? King, King Jehoram immediately blamed God for the situation that he actually put himself in. He was an evil king. His heart was evil and crooked. Listen, he believed in God, but he didn't honor God with his life. And, and many people, many people who would even label themselves as Christians don't live a surrendered life to the world and they get themselves in trouble and then, or they run into trouble or they go through a storm and they immediately go, God, I can't believe you let this happen to me. And the reason that they think that way is because they're not living in repentance and their thinking is twisted. If you don't live a lifestyle of repentance, then you're gonna have twisted thinking about the way that God operates and the way that he does things. And so he immediately ba began to blame God. And I would say that it, that that you should self-examine is when something happens, a storm comes up and you immediately begin to say, God, this is your fault. But I love King Jehoshaphat because he said, no, this is not the work of the Lord. Where is a prophet? Let us inquire the Lord. Let us ask him what he would have us do to get out of this situation. Um, back to the first king. The, just the way that he was living in his lifestyle and all these things, I want us to know God is for you when you are for him. A lot of people quote that verse, verse, God is for me, who can be against me? And they're not for God. God is not for you if you are not for him. If we are not living a surrendered life to him, if we've taken up arms with the world, God, don't expect God to come through for you. <laughs> if if your affections, if your allegiance, allegiance is split, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you can quote or how loud you shout the songs. He is not on your side if you have taken up sides with the world. If you haven't, if you haven't put your faith in him in the good times, you're not gonna have faith in him in the bad times. King Jehoshaphat of Judah was a godly king. He knew where to turn right away. He said, where is the prophet of the Lord? We know that Proverbs says, for a lack of prophetic vision, the people perish. For a lack of prophetic vision, the people perish. So for a lack of word from the Lord, the people perish. And Jehoshaphat knew this. If we don't get a word from God, we're gonna die out here. <laughs> we need to inquire and see what the Lord would have us do. He knew that if God didn't come through for them, they were done. He knew that, <laughs> now, it's funny too, because he kind of put himself in this situation, Jehoshaphat, himself and his army. Um, and, and so when I say like, you know, if you've taken up allegiance with the Lord, or, or the world and all those things, I'm not saying that if you're living a repentant, surrendered life that you're going to be absolutely perfect because sometimes we jump into things that maybe God didn't call us to. Sometimes we think because we are a believer that whatever we're gonna do, God is gonna bless it. And that's not the case. We want, we want to, you know, we wanna do what we wanna do and have God bless it, you know, slap his seal of approval on it. And that's not always the case. But I love that Jehoshaphat, even though he got himself in this situation, when he ran into trouble, he knew where to turn. And so I do wanna encourage you this morning, that's why Paul told Timothy, even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. 
Even when we're unfaithful, he's still faithful. See, when, when, I love when Peter stepped out of the boat and he was walking on the water towards Jesus, when he began to sink because he took his focus off Jesus, he still knew where his help came from. He cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And this Jehoshaphat's cry here today is, Lord, save me. So he's looking. And I, and I love that when they're looking for the, when, when Joshua says, let's, let's inquire of a prophet, they hear about Elisha. They're talking about Elisha. And it says, they went to him. They went to him. See, many of us want God to come to us on our terms. But God is saying, you got to come this way. Draw near to me and then I will draw near to you. We draw near to him and then he draws near to us. They didn't ask the prophet to come to them. They paid the price and they traveled to him. You, do you want him? Then make up your mind and go after him. I love, in, uh, I love some stories in the gospels of people who made their way to Jesus because uh, I love the story of Zacchaeus because he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd and he was despised by the crowd, but he didn't let that stop him. He heard about this man named Jesus and he says he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed a tree so that he could see Jesus. God is looking for you, but he's also waiting for you to do something. Come to him. He's not gonna force himself. I love the woman with the issue of a blood. She made up her mind. I'm getting to him no matter what. I'm pushing through this crowd and if I touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Come on, blind Bartimaeus, son of David, have mercy on me, don't pass me by. You know what they told him? Shut up, be quiet. What'd he do? He got louder. Son of David, don't pass me by. Get to his feet and stay there until you see him move. God responds to desperate people. God responds to desperate people. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, blessed are those who recognize their neediness for God. See, if you have no need for God, then don't expect him to move in your life. Blessed are those who recognize their neediness for God and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled. You have to hunger and thirst for it. And I, I don't want to challenge us with this. You have exactly as much of Jesus as you want. Make room for him. Clear out the way. Get to his feet. Get to his word and stay there. Well, God never speaks to me. I want God to speak to me. Read your Bible. Read your Bible until you do hear him speak to you. Read your Bible until you do speak to him. These kings and these armies were desperate. See, God, as believers, God isn't our, he's not one of many options. He's our only hope. God cannot be one of many options for us, church. He is our only hope. And I love when they get to Elisha because he just kind of trash talks the king, of, uh, the king of Israel. He said, if it wasn't for the king, of, if it wasn't for Jehoshaphat, I wouldn't even look at you, bro. I wouldn't entertain you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be in your presence right now. I wouldn't listen to anything that you said. But because of Jehoshaphat, somebody bring me a harp player. Like, bring me a musician. Bring, and I love that he says that. I love that he says, bring me a musician. Uh, the old King James says, bring me a minstrel. And I want to camp out on this for a minute because these kings inquire of the Lord and then Elisha says, I'm going to give you a word, but first we're going to worship. First we're going to worship. We're going to worship the Lord. See, God uses music that honors him 
to take you places. And I actually said that the devil uses music that honors him to take you places too. Um, God, that's a word for somebody. God, you wonder why you're in a bad mood all the time. Maybe the music listen to, you know? It's like when people talk, when, when, seriously, when people talk to me about how sad they are, I'm like, what kind of music do you listen to? Well, sad music, well, people who have anger issues, like what kind of music do you listen to? Well, angry music, it's like uh, music affects us. But what's incredible is that God meant for it to. He want, he, he, it's a beautiful, amazing gift that gets perverted by the enemy. So music is an incredible thing. God uses music to take us places. God uses music to bring your heart and your mind to a place that, they can, that, you, that we can receive from him. You, think about Elisha. He was in a camp of three armies. A camp of three armies. Of lots of men who are thirsty and hungry and tired and don't want to be there. who were on the verge of dehydration and death, standing before three kings, my guy was a little distracted. There was a lot of noise going on around him. And man, don't we live in a culture sometimes that's really noisy. Don't we live in a culture sometimes where it's really easy to get distracted? Don't we live in a culture sometimes where we're at work or we're with family or we're different places where it's really stressful? So what's the response? Worship. We worship him. Why? Because music takes you places. God will use worship to get you where you need to be mentally, spiritually, emotionally. If you heard me preach before, you probably have heard me say this, especially when I'm talking about worship. You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. We become like what we behold. It's a theme all through scripture. We become like what we look at. We become like what gets our affection, our attention, our focus. We become like those things. I heard a guy say the other day, it's like, you want God to break your habits? Make him your habit. Make him your habit. You want God to break your addictions? Well, then he has to become your addiction. We have to live this lifestyle of worship. Worshiping God causes his voice to become the loudest. It causes his voice to drown out all the other voices. And I wanna say this too this morning. Before you pray, you need to worship. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Before we begin asking for things, we start with thanksgiving. We start with worship. We start with talking about how worthy he is and how holy he is and worshiping him, not because of what he's done for us, but simply because he's God. Come on. Worship. Before you pray, worship. Before you intercede, worship. Before you read your Bible, worship. And I'm for all those things and all those things can be considered worship, but you can dive into the scriptures and Jesus even told the Pharisees this, you think these things have life in them, but I am true life. This is supposed to be read in communion with God. And I can read it to go find doctrine and theology and all of these things, but all of that can become dry, religious and give me a hard heart and make me pharisaical if it's done outside of worship with him, relationship with him. When I worship him, it gets my heart and my mind in the right place to receive from his word. Come on, amen. Preaching to myself up here. Before you go to work, worship. Before you get around people, worship. <laughs> Why? Because you become like what you behold. And the people at your job don't need a piece of your mind. They need a piece of the mind of Christ. How do you get the mind of Christ? Worship. Listen, every single morning, and there's some of them in here, every single morning, the first things I gotta do is I gotta teach high school, bas uh, high school Bible classes. I gotta teach about doctrine to ninth through 12th graders. Glory. 
You know how excited about it they are every day? Not really. <laughs> but here's the deal is I've, I've got to position myself to worship him, to see his face before I see their faces. Because if I don't see his face worse first, then I'm going to lead from where Josh Barnett wants to lead. I'm gonna lead from a place of flesh. I'm gonna lead from a place of frustration. But if I see his face first and I worship him, I come in with a heart full of love for my students. Come on, before you see people, my goodness. Anybody, any parents, you got some kids that are early risers? You need to worship, all right? You need to worship because it makes you like Jesus. It transforms you into his image from glory to glory. Worship will change you like nothing else will. More than you need your morning coffee. And I need my morning coffee. Glory, I need that cup of black joe like I need it in my system to wake my mind up. But more than I need that, I need to worship God. Worship changes you like nothing else will. Change the posture of your heart and mind. Fill your time with worship. Fill your office with worship. Fill your home with worship. Fill your kitchen with worship. It creates an atmosphere for you to receive from him because it causes you to live in communion with him. And you begin to hear his voice everywhere that you go. Come on. It, it, here's the deal. They go worship. This, Elisha begins to worship the Lord and it says the hand of the Lord comes upon him. You need to know that worship doesn't cause God to show up. It causes you to show up. When we enter to worship, we realize that he was always there. He's not the one who has an anxious heart, an anxious mind. We are. He's the one that brings stillness to us. He's not the one that, that's mixed in any way. We are. And so we need to worship to get singularly focused on him. And then we realize he was there all along. And I was panicking for no reason. <laughs> he was there all along. Worship will build your faith like nothing else. It will give you courage and boldness like nothing else. It will fill your heart full of love like nothing else. God uses worship of him as a vehicle to make you into all he intended you to be. Worship brings clarity. It brings clarity to vision. Remember, without a prophetic vision, the people perish. Now, now since we're on the topic of worship, let's talk about it a little bit more. <laughs> I hear things like, why do we worship so long? Or why is it so loud? <laughs> People leave here, our church, because they think worship is too long. People leave here because they think it's too loud. People leave our church because they think our worship team dances too much. Are you kidding me? <laughs> they must not have got the memo that worship wasn't for them. They're not dancing for you. Well, man, they're really showy. Man, Bergen gets up here and she's... <laughs> right? And Savannah's over here just letting her hair dangle down. And Cameron's in the middle and she's... Right? They're just real. Yeah, that was impressive, right? My heart's racing. Pray for me. <laughs> they're, they're quite a bit younger than I am now. They're not dancing for you. They're not putting on a show for you. Do you know what it is? It's an overflow of love. They're not trying to get God to see them. They're dancing because God does see them and they've got a revelation of who he is. Come on, dancing too much, are you kidding me? I read about a woman who looked down on her husband and said, I can't believe you acted that way. And he said, woman, I'll be more undignified than this. 
But you know what? It cost her children. She didn't get to have any more babies after that because she was, sorry, I messed up my microphone from dancing. See if I can get it clipped back or I'll be distracted the whole time. There we go. Okay. (laughs) It's for him. He's worthy, man. It's dangerous for us to speculate over other people's worship. Well, they're just doing that for show. How do you know? See, I know these girls and these guys up here, and I know they're not doing it for show because I know their hearts because I have a relationship with them. Come on, when Brandon's in his power stance and he's just shredding that guitar, I know he's not doing it for his glory because if he was doing it for his glory, you know where he would be? On a different stage. I know Brandon's heart. I've walked with him for a lot, 15 years. I know Brandon's heart. It's just, like, it's just a rock concert. I mean, what do you want? Do you want, him to, you want us to get out the pipe organ and play a harp? Those aren't really popular instruments anymore. They're kind of hard to come by. When you, and you think it's too long. I don't think it's long enough. Who's right? You think it's too loud. I think it's too quiet. You can put earplugs in. God bless you. I got to lean into here a little bit more. Who's right and who's wrong? The reason it's long is because he's worthy. The reason it's loud is because we're trying to drown out all the other voices that are in your head. It's because he's worthy, man. He's worthy. I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm not trying to do any of that. I'm just letting you know it's not about us, man. Well, I don't really like the songs they choose. Well, I would probably hate the songs that you would choose. So who do we go with? Well, it's just really inconsiderate that worship would be that long. You're right. We didn't consider you. We didn't consider not one person in this room. God bless you. Because listen, it's not for you. It's for him. Worship is not about meeting your needs. It's about what pleases his heart. It's about what pleases his heart. And Elisha said, before we do anything, we're going to worship Before we do anything, we're gonna sing his praises. The point is, from all that ranting, is to make sure our heart posture about worship is this. It's not about me, it's about him. And when I make it about him, even if I don't like the song choice, even if I don't like how long it's going, even if I don't like Cameron's high knees, it's about him and how worthy he is. And if you read the lyrics to the songs, they're scripture, man. They're just scripture. Open your Bible and read it. You may recognize that then it's scripture. When we make it about him, guess what he does? He uses it to take us places that we need to be and give, give us words that we need to hear. That's what he does. It's amazing because it's all about ministering to his heart. But when we posture our heart to truly minister to him, guess what he does? He comes and ministers to us. Come on, that's amazing. That worship is about him, but then he comes and he brings me wholeness through it. He doesn't have to do that, but he's a good God who wants to give good gifts to his children. Come on. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Hello. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Comma, verse 19, he tells you how you can be filled with the spirit by singing psalms and hymns. And he's not talking about your red back hymnal. Because when he wrote that, guess what hymnal book they didn't have? Long time before that one came out. 
psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves. He's talking about in the church and making music to the Lord in your hearts. Okay, so listen, and I know that some people come in and like in our worship and everything is really, really overwhelming and really weird for you. But listen, I, w- I want you to know, like I've been, I grew, went to a lot of churches growing up. This church is the calmest church that I ever grew up going to. Just chew on that for a while. I know some of you come in and they're like, it's a lot. And you've never seen anything like this before. Okay, it's like somebody asked me, somebody told me one time, I was like, I really like the word, but the worship is kind of weird. And I was like, okay, well, how do they worship at your church? It's like, well, we stand up and my grandma pays, plays the, the, the organ and we open our redback hymnals and we read, we sing three hymnals all together. And I said, that's weird. <laughs> who's right and who's wrong? Doesn't matter. It's all about our posture before the Lord. It's all about singing his praises. And I have sat in here and I have, I have had tears run down my face in the awe and wonder of who God is and what he's done for me. And I've sat in a tiny little Methodist church out in the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, and sang Jesus paid it all with no musicians and tears ran down my face. Because it's not about the style of music, it's about who it's for. Come on, come on somebody. So <laughs> worship isn't about us, it's about him. We gotta worship the Lord the next thing they did is they obeyed the Lord. So the, the music comes, just imagine, right? I have Lucas come out and start playing his guitar and shaking his hair back and forth and, you know, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to move into a ministry time. And then I said, make this valley full of ditches. Huh? That's what Elisha did. Make this valley full of ditches. That's what the Lord wants you to do. So they wanted a word from the Lord and they got a work order from the Lord. And this is my whole point this morning is that, that faith requires our participation. Faith requires our participation. Many of us expect a miracle without it participating in any way. Many of us want God to move without moving ourselves. Hear me, that's not faith. That's wishful thinking. That's not faith. Faith requires our participation because when we participate, it shows that we actually believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. We have to take a step of faith. He's looking for someone who will listen to the voice. He's looking for someone who will obey the voice regardless of the consequences. We were just singing about your kingdom come, your will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's a prayer that we should pray. But oftentimes God goes, awesome. Here's how I want you to do that. Here's how I want you to bring heaven to earth. It's weird. God likes to use the things that he created. I don't know why, but Corinthians says that we co-labor with Christ. And so we actually have a responsibility to do things for God. I'm not talking about earning salvation. If you want to listen about saving faith, I did a Wednesday night a couple weeks ago, listen to me about saving faith. I'm not talking about a religion by works. I'm talking about because of what Jesus has done in me and I've positioned myself under him. I want his will to be done on the earth like it's been done in my life, like it's been done in heaven. That's what I, I, that's, I desire that. And so he comes to me and says, here's how I want you to do that. It's a work order. God says, awesome, you prayed it. Now I wanna use you to make it happen. You prayed it, now I want you, you dig the ditch, I'll fill it with water. You open your mouth, I'll put the words in there. You lay your hands on them, I will heal them. You start the business, I'll bless it. You have the kid, I'll give you wisdom. 
Whatever it is, whatever he's telling you to do, be obedient in it. Do your part and then you'll see him come through. And, and, and God doesn't, God never calls us to understand what he tells us to do. Understanding is not a prerequisite for obedience. All through scripture, he tells like this, make this valley full of ditches. Well, why? That's off the table. God said, do it, so you do it. Joshua, I want you to take these people and I want you to walk around that city one time for six days and on the seventh day, seven times, and then scream as loud as you can and the city will be delivered into your hands. I'm sorry, what? Even Jesus, there were so many times where he told people to do things that don't make sense. Guys, I want you to go in that town and you're gonna find a donkey and I want you to bring it to me. Who does it belong to? Doesn't matter. Understanding is not a prerequisite for obedience. Maybe, maybe we have not seen the miracle because we refuse to obey the voice. What if the voice of the Lord said, tithe. Many of us want to break through in finances, but it may not happen if we're not participating with our end, right? Many of us, what if the Lord said, lose weight? Many of us want to break through with our health and the Holy Spirit's trying to help you control what you put in your mouth. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to help us understand a little bit. Many of us want a miracle for a position that we've put ourselves in. And he says, okay, here's how you get out of it. Oh, you're not just gonna magically pull me out of it? Not really, that's usually not how he works because he wants us to show that we trust him, that we trust him. I hope you wore your steel toe boots this morning. <laughs> do something that costs you, do it by faith, not by what you see, by what you believe will happen and step out in faith. God heal my health issues well, he sent you a doctor who gave you some advice. Did you follow it? Do all that, do all that you can do. There's an old saying, I don't know how theologically accurate it is, but just don't judge me. It's not in the Bible. Pray like it depends on him. Work like it depends on you. But then all the boasting goes to him. Everybody wants to bear the fruit of the kingdom, but few people want to do the work to get it. You know, just, I run into, well, not just, it's not just a young people problem too, but I run into people where it's, uh, you know, they want to, they, they have faith, they want to see miracles, they want to see signs and wonders. And I'm like, well, you know, a sign and a wonder sometimes is you being on time. Now, maybe if we'll do our part, then we'll see him do his. We'll see him do his. We want to see signs and wonders, but we don't deny ourselves our fleshly desires. Maybe he's looking for a people who would be obedient to what he's already told them to do. Amen? Many, uh, and I love what Tori was talking about revival because I had this in my notes. Many people want revival, but few people want to prepare for it. And, I, and I've heard people say, like, well, we built this huge building. Why are there so many empty seats? Well, you got to build a barn before you can gather the grain. <laughs> and the harvest is ripe. And I see a lot of laborers in here. I see a lot of laborers in here. So maybe instead of asking why there's so many seats, maybe we could do our part in filling them. Number one, by showing up. <laughs> and then I would say number two, 
Not just, I'm not talking about just inviting people to church. I'm talking about burning bright before all men. Leonard Ravenhill says that a church on fire doesn't have to advertise itself. The, the city will know. The city will know. And, and, and I want everybody to know, like, this is the barn. This isn't the field. So even as I'm preaching messages and as Tim preaches messages, Paul, as Chloe preaches messages, we're not doing a salvation's message every Sunday because the barn is for believers. The barn is for believers. So this sermon isn't for unbelievers. Do you know what sermon is for unbelievers? It's when I'm out in the world and I come in contact with an unbeliever and I share my testimony with them. And you share your testimony with them because we are the priesthood of believers. If I could just get them to come to my church. No, if you could give them an encounter at work. Give them an encounter at work. Give them an encounter in the grocery store. Give them an encounter at the gas station. Give them an encounter everywhere that you go. And listen, you don't have to be an evangelist to do that. You don't have to have the gifting of evangelism to do that. You just worship, you live before the Lord, and it begins to overflow out of you. Where it's not too long that it comes up in conversation or that people notice, like, man, you're, you're different than everybody else. You don't talk about the boss when he's not around. You show up on time every day. You work hard. You don't gossip. You're faithful to your wife, even in the things that you say. What's different about you? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. Burn bright in front of everybody. So have you prepared yourself for revival? Many want revival, but few are willing to pay for it. And revival is not based on how many seats are filled. It's not based on how long services are or how many people get baptized. Revival is based on this, the fire inside of your chest. The fire inside of your chest. Okay, so we be obedient to him. We dig ditches, he sends the water. We dig ditches, he sends the water. Well, why is it taking so long? Because God is preparing you for a blessing. Why is it so hard? Because God is refining you so that you can steward the blessing when it comes. Digging ditches looks like him refining your character in the secret places, the hidden place, the unseen places, through spiritual authority, through reading his word, to mature you to a place to handle the promotion. That's why he calls us to dig ditches. Because if he didn't, we would all turn into spoiled brats. He's refining you. He's getting your character ready to carry the blessing that he wants to give you. Digging ditches is hard. Digging ditches is hard, especially when you're thirsty especially when you're expecting, especially when you're feeling like you're about to die. But I want everybody in the room to know this. God is not going to ask you to do more than you can do. But he will ask you to do more than you think you can do. He's not gonna ask you to do more than you can do. We all can do more than we think we can do. And he's gonna ask you to do more than you think that you can do. But by his grace, man, he will empower you to dig those ditches. And I love in verse 20, early the next, the next morning, they get up and they sacrifice. They offer the grain offering. Then the water came. The water didn't come until after the sacrifice. We dug the ditches. Where's the water? We've been digging all night. We've been digging all day. We're here. Where's the water? That wasn't anybody's attitude. They went and they offered the sacrifice. I did the work and there's no water. Doesn't matter. I still sacrifice. I still bring him what he's owed. I still bring him what he's worth. I dug the ditch and I woke up and there was no water. It's coming. Make your sacrifice. Don't worry about his part. Worry about yours. And I want to encourage people this morning. It's like, get your hopes up, man. Some of us living by faith, living like what we have our hopes in, we, we get it usually. 
We get it. Doubt isn't the absence of faith. It's faith in the wrong thing. Get your hopes up and, and know that he's on the move. It, to have the mindset of I dug these ditches, where are you, is you're in my debt. And God is never in our debt. We are his servants. He is not mine. I'm going to be obedient and he can send the rain. He can send the water however he wants to, whenever it wants to come. I'm going to be obedient to what he's called me to do. Do not take it into your own hands. Just thinking about faith and everything we're teaching on, think about Abraham and Sarah. They took it into their own hands and it, was, it caused a lot of devastation. For generations, it caused a lot of devastation. Only God can bring the rain. Only he can bring the water. Do your part, don't attempt his. Jesus said, go ye therefore making disciples of all nations, but before you do, you better go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait. And so they went and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and they prayed and they waited and after 10 days, the Holy Spirit baptized them in power. Come on. Come on. I'm gonna land the plane here. You do your part and you wait on him. And then the last thing is you watch him work, man. You watch him work. I'm not gonna read it for sake of time, but verses 21 through 25. After the water comes, remember they're going to, to, to defeat the Moabites. After the water comes, the Moabites come over the hill and they look into the valley. And because of the, the way that the trenches were dug and the red sand and the clay that was there, when they looked in the valley, they said, it's full of blood. They've turned on each other. The three, the three armies, the three, the three kings, they turn on each other. They've killed each other. Let us attack now and, and go get them. And when they do, buddy, they get their butts whooped. Sorry, I said butts in church. I said it again. God gives them victory. God gives them victory. And here's what I want you to see in this. They were just waiting for water, but through the miracle, through the water, God also defeated their enemies. The blessing is not only meant to meet the needs of the army, but it also was meant to confuse their enemies and give God's people victory. They were expecting water. God gave them victory. And if you'll wait on him, and if you'll watch him do his part, if you'll be obedient to him, the story is going to turn out so much better if you wait on his timing. Dig the ditch and watch him blow your mind. He's going to do more than you thought was possible. Maybe you thought he was just going to fill the ditches with water, but he's got so much more up his sleeve than we could ever know. You thought he was just going to save your marriage, and he's made your marriage the most amazing, incredible thing, better than you ever thought it could be. Dig the ditch and watch him work. Maybe you thought he was going to bring your child home, but he's about to make this a testimony that brings other children home too. You thought he was just going to pay your bills. He's about to bless you with generational wealth. Dig the ditch. Watch him blow your mind. He said, make this valley full of ditches. He said, you will neither see wind or rain, but they will be filled with water. Listen, I thought coming home that, man, if I could just be a servant in this house, if I could just be a slave. And he said, here's a ring and a robe. You're my son. Let's throw a party. Come on. He does so much more than we think he's going to do. And I want to encourage you. And, I know, and I've been a little bit hard about some things this morning, but I want to encourage you to get your hopes up. Push your faith in him because he's a God that does impossible things in seemingly impossible situations. And he's always up to way more than we could ever possibly ask, think, or imagine. This is faith. This is faith. Inquire, worship, work, and then watch him work. Inquire, worship, work, and watch him work. Well, well what if? Doesn't matter. What if I lay hands on them and they don't get it? Get the what if out of your mind. What if I dig the ditch and the what? Get the what if out of your mind, man. 
I'll do my part and I'll trust that he's going to do his. Well, I prayed for him and I didn't see him recover. Pray for him again. Keep praying. You, you keep digging the ditch and the water is gonna come. You do all that you can do and then trust God for the rain. Trust him for the water. We don't live by what we can see. We live by faith. We don't live by what we can see. We live by faith. Not by what I see, not by what I feel, but what I know about him to be true. Amen? We're gonna end with worship. If you noticed, we did four songs. We usually do five. And some of you might've been thinking, yes, it's too long. <laughs> Sweet. Gotcha. Gotcha. If you'll stand with me. I want to end with a scripture verse here. I, uh, I told Lucas, man, let's not do a melodic, slow, pray for you, cry at the altar song. Let's throw a party. Let's have a Holy Ghost party. I want to give them a reason to get their knees up. I want to give them a reason to shake their hair around. I want to give Brandon a reason for that power stance. <laughs> he hates it. <laughs> he hates when I... <laughs> oh, man. I want to jam. I want to build our faith. Worship builds our faith. Worship builds our faith. And I want to do this song. And listen, this is my boy's favorite song right now, especially Micah. He always asks me, Dad, let's... He calls it Bones. Let's play Bones. Let's play Bones. Let's play Bones. It's called Rattle. But... It's their favorite song. And listen, whenever your children have a favorite song, pay attention to it. Pay attention to it. Because it's songs from the children that make the enemy flee. Oftentimes they're more sensitive than what the, to what the Spirit's wanting to do in the room oftentimes than even we are. They're still in that childlike faith. And so I'm gonna follow the scent that my son has this morning. I'm gonna follow the thing that he recognizes in the Spirit whenever this song is playing. And we're gonna let this song stir up faith on the inside of us. And you know, we don't, we're, I want joy to be released in here this morning. I want peace to wash over you this morning as we sing this song. I want courage and boldness to fill this place as we sing this song. Ephesians chapter three, verses 20 and 21 says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and he will exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Now we offer up to God all the glorious praise that rises from every church in every generation through Jesus Christ and all that will yet be made manifest through time and eternity. Come on, let's call these bones back to life. Sing this over your marriage. Sing this over your finances. Sing this over your home, over your family, over your prodigals, over your cancer, over your sickness, your illness. Sing this over our nation, over the world. Let's call these bones back to life. Come on. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.